Hi, this is David. I bet you've heard the saying that food is medicine. But the thing is, we also want our food to be quick and tasty. Factor has the solution. Their delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. They deliver prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including Kato, Calorie Smart, Vegan and Veggie, and more. Plus, there's extra things to enjoy. They have over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, like snacks and smoothies, that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. You'll be glad to hear that Factor is affordable. I've done the math. and Factor meals are less expensive than takeout. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Head to factormeals.com slash living50 and use code living50 to get 50% off. That's code living50 at factormeals.com slash living50 to get 50% off. Thank you. Welcome to the Inspirational Living Podcast. Today's reading was edited and adapted from Happiness Road by Alice Hagen Rice, published in 1942. From the dawn of civilization, humanity has been following a trail whose end is ever lost in the heights. Stumbling, falling, and fighting, people have struggled valiantly on in the quest of happiness. Each generation and race has sought after it in their own fashion, and each has found it for brief seasons, only to lose it again. Egypt built great tombs for its dead to enjoy through eternity. Greece tried to discover happiness in the pursuit of beauty and truth, India sought to capture it by the suppression of all desire. Some philosophers have taught that moderation is the secret of happiness. Others that giving rein to pleasures of the senses is the means of achieving it. Still others have declared that it is only through the pleasures of the mind that happiness is to be found. Early Christians held that happiness lay in minimizing the conditions of this life and in living for the glories of the world to come. Not until the Renaissance was this hope of the future combined with a full appreciation of the beauty and worthwhileness of human life. With the discovery of the new world, people sought happiness in physical activity in resting comfort and safety out of the wilderness. But the Puritans made the mistake of disassociating happiness and religion, of looking upon cheerfulness as shallowness and upon merriment as frivolity, wholly missing the truth known to the prophets of old, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. What then is the true nature of this happiness people have lived and died for? We know one thing for certain, 
Happiness is not a mere temporary selfish pleasure that excites and exhilarates for a moment, but it lies in a state of mind. Also, we know that there is a technique in attaining it. Yet while we devote years to the study of the arts, we give little attention to the most important of all the arts, that of achieving a happy life. There are brilliant men and women the world over who have attained greatness in their respective fields, yet who in their secret souls are dissatisfied, thwarted and disillusioned. They have been so busy achieving personal ambitions that they have overlooked the supremely enjoyable obligation of finding happiness. On the other hand, there are radiant personalities who go singing their way through life, sometimes under the most trying circumstances, yet whose very happiness helps and blesses all with whom they come in contact. They have learned that happiness is a byproduct of right living and thinking, a result of our spiritual adjustment to circumstances that it must never be regarded as the chief aim in life, but only as a just and fundamental need of humankind. In ordinary circumstances, we start out in life being happy. Children are happy under a blazing tropic sun, or in the freezing blasts of the Arctic. They build toy houses on the edge of a volcano, or play tag on a battlefield. But with maturity comes knowledge, and with knowledge fear. It is then that we must trust no longer to nature, but consciously take control of our lives, and live according to a fixed purpose. At first we invariably follow false trails. We want money, fame, success. And if we get them, we frequently find ourselves in bogs of idleness, selfishness, and unfulfilled ambition. But gradually along the rocky gorges of sorrow, down the stony paths of temptation, and in the valleys of disillusionment, we realize that happiness and peace are only to be found upon a different road. While each individual must of necessity approach the problem from their own angle, there are a few broad principles that may be followed. First, it is necessary for us to keep in mind that any pursuit of happiness, contrary to the common good, is doomed to failure. Second, that even though disease and sorrow are all around us, Health and happiness are our normal state. Third, that happiness is a duty, not only because of its effect upon us, but because of its influence upon others. To each thinking adult come hours of discouragement, depression and despair. Were it not so, we would never seek to right the wrongs that exist all about us but it is possible to build our characters, develop our abilities, and discipline our moods, 
so that we can attain an integrated personality which no change of fortune can permanently affect. It is our privilege and duty to keep high ideals alive, to cultivate the joy, peace, and serenity of life, in order to pass them on to a saddened and embittered humanity. Unless as individuals and as a nation, we strive unceasingly to establish and preserve a sane, progressive, humanitarian civilization. Chaos is inevitable. The way to attain this ideal is not easy. Each day is a challenge to our faith, courage, and steadfast purpose. We must approach the problem with a mature intelligence, and yet with the open-mindedness of children giving up preconceived notions and arrogant dogmas, and substituting a humility that is willing to learn. Socrates' dictum, Know thyself, is as sound today as when it was uttered. But before any undertaking is attempted, it is wise to decide exactly what we seek, and how well we are equipped to achieve it. Let us put away all personal pride arrogance and egotism, and try humbly to see ourselves as we really are. For we must consider whether we are trained by discipline and habit to meet the hardships of our journey through life, where there will be steep hills to climb and grave obstacles to overcome. Our hands must be quick to minister to the needs of others, our feet swift to run errands of mercy, our shoulders strong to bear not only our own burdens, but those of our weaker brothers and sisters. In order to meet life successfully, we must study our own physical needs, and then cooperate with the fullest with science, to correct unfavorable conditions for others. Having got our bodies in the best possible running order, we can then examine our minds. In taking stock of our mental attributes, each of us must ask themselves the following questions. Do I suffer from a sense of inferiority? If so, perhaps that is because I cannot have the dominance I desire over others. Do I feel superior to others? then I may be arrogant and conceited and blind to the unique skills of others. Am I hypersensitive? Then I am probably thinking more of myself than others and overly demanding of consideration. Have I stopped growing? Then I become fixed in habit, thought, or environment and will soon share the fate of a fossil. What do I fear? Most of us suffer from some form of phobia, which weakens our initiative, decreases our ability, and limits our usefulness. Do I? These are searching questions, but it is only when they are honestly faced that we can even begin to know ourselves. Many people find the world cold, indifferent, and unkind not realizing that the cause lies directly in themselves. 
an inward glance will often reveal our own lack of tenderness, compassion, and thoughtfulness. Another source of unhappiness is the habit of attaching ignoble motives to others, motives of which we consider ourselves incapable. We give a tactless word, an indifferent glance, a graceless act, a significance that was never intended. Far more important than the body or the mind, in making an inventory of ourselves, is giving account of our spiritual state. The true test of spiritual efficiency is whether or not we live up to our full capacity, whether we are idly drifting with the current, or using every physical, mental, and spiritual quality we possess to the utmost of our ability. Whatever thing we want most in life is, in truth, our religion, be it fame, wealth, health, or goodness. It is a law of our nature that when an end has been effectively suggested to the unconscious mind, that the mind tends to work towards its realization. At the very start of our spiritual journey, it is of paramount importance, therefore, to define our goal and then discard all hampering impediments that may prevent our reaching it. One such impediment is old burdens. Considering the useless burdens we carry through life, it is a wonder we ever survive. Old sorrows, regrets, dead hopes, unfulfilled desires, hatreds, rebellions all weigh down our hearts and deaden our minds. One of the worst of these burdens is worry, not the legitimate anxiety that senses danger ahead and sets about intelligently to avoid it, but the useless worry over things that cannot be helped. There are many other kinds of burdens too, those that are inflicted upon us and those we assume. Our own burdens all too frequently come from self-centeredness, the failure to realize that we do not exist solely to be well and successful, but chiefly to carry out the divine plan under whatever circumstances we find ourselves. The woman who said, I haven't the courage to be unhappy, expressed a true if satirical fact the tendency to make idols of our loved ones, to expect perfection in ourselves or others, to brood over the things that happen, lead inevitably to wretchedness. It is necessary to realize that everything is relative, contingent on circumstances, temperament, and the human element. We have only to place our personal problems beside the momentous issues of life, to find that they frequently dwindle to trifles. Whatever is the nature of our burdens, we must guard against trying to carry more than we are capable of. The weight is largely regulated by our personality. The stoic, self-reliant person and bear a load that would break the spirit of a highly sensitive, sympathetic one. But even the latter can learn to face issues with calmness, to derive satisfaction from discharging obligations, 
and to accept self-sacrifice cheerfully. The problem of carrying someone else's burdens is a difficult one. While compassion compels us to ease another's load wherever we can, it is necessary for us to remember that by taking on another person's responsibility and assuming their obligations, we are depriving them of their only chance of development. It is just as bad to be unduly leaned upon as it is to lean. There are, however, legitimate burdens which no self-respecting person can shirk. They may be grievously heavy and desperately hard to bear, but whether they are laid upon us or self-assumed, they can only be successfully handled by sublimation. Perhaps the very tragedy you are called upon to face is one that no other person can handle. You may be the one medium in the whole world through whom God can perform a delicate task. By meeting the situation in an ideal way and preserving your own faith and integrity in doing so, you may establish an ideal for all others who face a similar problem. This can thus turn a grievous burden into a noble one, a burden that is a privilege to bear.